Hey, this is Andrew Schlecht from The Athletic. The NBA Finals begins on June 6th, and we have you covered at The Athletic NBA Show. Join us Monday through Friday to hear voices like Zach Harper, David Aldridge, Marcus Thompson, Dave DeFore, Sam Amick, and many more. We will have instant reaction shows after every finals game, plus podcasts to take you behind the scenes in between games. Listen to The Athletic NBA Show wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Friday, July 15th. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melkier. We are breaking down players to consider picking up on the waiver wire this weekend. Of course, the All-Star break is upon us. We have a short first week coming out of the break. That'll change the way we talk about pitching a little bit on this episode because two-start pitchers are not a thing during the upcoming week. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. We'll talk about some bats, we'll talk about some arms, maybe talk about a few players that have underperformed over the past calendar year as well as we think about midseason trades that might be taking place in the next few days and possibly some drops along the way as well. If you're watching us live on YouTube, we go live most Fridays at 4 o'clock Eastern. Feel free to drop some questions in in the chat. We'll try to answer those as we move along as well. Al, it seems like this has been Esturi Ruiz week, and we've seen three consecutive starts for him since he joined the Padres in Colorado. The Padres are in a pretty big skid right now as a team. Right now, Ruiz is in the bottom third of that order. We've talked about him a lot on the last few episodes. Speed, obviously, is the one thing we're really looking for from Ruiz. I'm curious, how aggressively are you going to pursue him in leagues where he is available this weekend? Uh, kind of the, the midpoint, uh, what I mean by that is, so for example, in the waiver column this week, uh, I let off with Max Meyer and to me, Max Meyer is one of these few remaining players where you could go 10% if you have that kind of margin, uh, left over. Uh, I, I wasn't willing to go that far with Ruiz, even though obviously he could be an absolute game changer in the stolen base category, but I do have questions about, first of all, how much of the second half he's going to play. And, you know, you point out that the the Padres right now need all the help that they can get offensively. Uh, but you do have Will Myers and Jerkson Profar both being uh, reportedly close to coming back. There is a bit of a squeeze there. And the fact that the Padres did drag their heels a little bit to bring up Ruiz in the first place makes me wonder if he's not going to push Nomar Mazzara or Trent Grisham out of a job, uh, at least soon enough to to help somebody uh, win a fantasy title. So I don't want to be too much of a wet blanket of about it. I mean, I think you have to go... Uh, particularly deeper leagues, five, six, seven percent of fab. But I think you have to recognize that there is a potential playing time risk there. Yeah, I think you're paying a little extra because many teams are chasing steals as they have been throughout this season. And in this case, maybe the risk is worth the reward. Uh, one thing that was passed along earlier this week by you know Saris on rates and barrels, and I think he was relaying something he saw from, I believe it was Josh Norris on Twitter, is that Asturi Ruiz, while he was very productive at AA and AAA this season, did have a very low hard hit rate. So the quality of the contact he was making was relatively low. That can be very problematic for players as we've seen at the big league level. If you're in the bottom 10th percentile of the league in terms of your hard hit rate, it's an uphill battle to get on base enough to actually utilize that speed. So that's the one thing you got to watch pretty carefully 
with Ruiz and something that probably tempers the ceiling just a little bit in light of some amazing overall surface numbers at AAA. It's weird to me that we go from Ruiz, this young player with a ton of speed, to a 36-year-old Matt Carpenter. And if you're watching on YouTube, it just says, Matt Carpenter? Really? Because (laughs) when he first came up, when the Yankees first brought him up, we talked about him as someone that probably only made sense with his role in AL-only leagues. They're giving him playing time in the outfield right now, and he is mashing right now. He's now got five games in the outfield, so he qualifies both at second base and in the outfield for a lot of leagues. You know, with this uptick in playing time and with a ton of power in a relatively small number of plate appearances so far, what are you doing with Matt Carpenter in your leagues? I still don't know that I'm pursuing him in 12-teamers just because I'm not sure he's going to play enough and he would have to produce like he's been producing to be worth using in those leagues if he's you know playing for four days a week or so. Uh, but yeah, I may, maybe I'm going to regret that in a few weeks. But certainly, whatever deeper leagues, and by deeper I mean more than twelve teams, uh, whatever deeper leagues he's available in, uh, I'm, I'm probably not going five percent, and maybe that's not going to be enough. But I think yeah, about four percent, four and a half percent. I think it's worth it. So he's moved up into that mixed league conversation that, frankly, I just I didn't see that ever no. happening again. I thought it thought it was the end for Matt Carpenter. So credit to him for putting in the work, for making some adjustments, and nice job by the Yankees picking up a guy that many teams and many fanalists thought was just completely done at this stage of his career. But I think that range, yeah, three to five percent as the as the range makes sense for fifteen team leagues. If you're in a 10 or a 12-team league, he's probably more of a min-bid sort of player on the roster, off the roster, depending on your alternatives in those situations. And one shallow league infielder that I think we got to talk about for at least a moment or two is Wilmer Flores. I mean, he's got first base, second base, and third base eligibility. And I just think it's really a case where entering the season, I saw him as a 15-team mixed league player and, and something deeper. That made a lot of sense to me there. Loved the versatility. But he's doing enough and producing enough now where I think he has also played his way into those more shallow formats. Yeah, I think he absolutely has. And uh, Tierra Estrada has kind of filled a similar role, very versatile, doesn't blow you away in any particular categories, but just plays enough to compile enough. And on a Giants roster where there just aren't very many regular players. So it's odd that, you know, we've been talking about Estrada and now we're talking about Flores as players who play almost every day. And so as such, they uh, they have opportunities to to produce runs. And, and Flores does have and, and ha- always has had a little bit of power. So it's not like he's just there just to uh, you know, collect RBIs and, and runs and, and nothing else. So um, I was very surprised to find that he is top 12 at first and second base and I believe top 10 at third base in roto value. So not only does he have the versatility, but you could plug him in at any of those positions and he's, he is going to be viable as long as he produces like he has been, he's going to be viable in 12 team leagues. And really you look DVR, you look at the stat sheet, there's nothing there that you say, Oh, this is, this is going to regress. This has to fall. It's just, we're not used to Wilmer Flores being on pace to get 550, 600 plate appearances in the season. Yeah, that's the big difference for me. And I, I keep thinking, even if they were to make some kind of addition at the trade deadline, and it might not be a, a Chris Bryant level sort of upgrade. If they did, it makes more sense to upgrade at catcher. Like that's been more of a problem spot than a lot of other positions for the Giants. They mix and match so well. 
around other positions. Why not get the upgrade somewhere else? And that would also be good for Flores because the lineup would get better and it wouldn't be the result of someone who can play one of his positions taking some of that playing time. So I think you're right to point out that the role has been just a bit bigger than expected from Flores based on what they were doing with him in previous years in San Francisco. Now, one other kind of shallow medium league infielder to consider is Jose Miranda getting those chances in Minnesota right now. Hit that walk-off home run earlier this week against Josh Hader. Uh, just looks like he belongs in the big leagues. So I guess if you're in a situation where you're looking at Flores versus Miranda, do you prefer Flores because the playing time is more stable or do you actually think Miranda has a little more ceiling? <laughs> yeah, both of those things are true. So it's it's a hard choice. Uh, and the thing is that Flores, he he's under rostered, but there's still a, still a chance. Certainly in anything that deeper, that's deeper than a 12-team league, you pr- might not be able to get Flores. And your 12-teamer, maybe you're out of luck. In that case, your choice is easy because Miranda's not that widely rostered and he does have the upside. And the thing is over the last three weeks, we've seen him realize it. He's been striking out uh, at a rate below 10% over the last, I want to say 17 games, something like that, two and a half weeks, basically uh, with power. And uh, so it's really replicating the kinds of rate stats that he had in the minors uh, doing it with the twins in that lineup. So, I think if I just could be a little bit more confident that he was going to play almost every day, it would be an easy choice, but he's not playing quite every day just yet. Going a little bit deeper, looking to the Rays for a couple of players that might be able to help out. Yandy Diaz, for me, he's more of a cheap source of batting average, you know, decent number of runs scored, of course, being atop that Rays lineup. Big question, though, for Tampa Bay is, can they score enough runs to keep pace, especially in the AL East? without Wander for the better part of the next four to six weeks, most likely. That wrist injury for him probably keeps him out until at least the the second half of August. Diaz is playing a ton right now. I think he gets a day off about every 15 games. He's basically an everyday player for a team that traditionally has, kind of like with Wilmer Flores and the Giants, mixed and matched him a bit more. So what's your interest level in Yandy Diaz? Maybe looking at him as a player who's still not offering much in terms of power, but has great average floor and obviously a nice OBP to go with it. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. If you needed somebody on the corner, uh, that'd be an interesting comparison Diaz uh, versus Flores. Cause yeah, he's, we're not accustomed to Diaz having this kind of uh, playing time security. Uh, and he is the better bet for, for, uh, for batting average. But I think Flores is probably the better bet for run production and for power. So to me, Diaz, he's rostered a lot lower, and I think that that's appropriate. Uh, I mean, you started off by saying he's a batting average contributor. He's a kind of a specialist in that category. Uh, and, and I actually think that if that was what I was looking for and position was irrelevant, I might actually rather target Harold Ramirez. Um, very kind of similar skill set, although Diaz clearly has a big, uh, a big edge in terms of OBP leagues or points leagues. But... Uh, Ramirez is hitting right in the middle of that lineup, typically hitting third or fourth, um, a little bit more power, not a lot of power, but at least he's got some, whereas Diaz has really very little. Um, so I, I, you know, if that were the case, and again, if position were irrelevant, I think there's better options, including his teammate. Yeah, there's another option in Tampa Bay, Jonathan Aranda available in a good number of leagues, really making the move from our Tuesday rundowns to our Friday rundowns. I saw him hitting in the cleanup spot on Thursday, and we've talked about him before as a left-handed bat, probably in that mix more as a big side platoon player, at least in the short term. 
he's got the look of someone who's going to hit a lot with any opportunity he gets pretty much at any level. What's the cutoff, though, in terms of the leagues in which you're interested in bidding on him? Right now, 15, but I think he does have this, the skill set that if he gets this opportunity to to play, get extended run, hit in the middle of or, of the order on a regular basis, I think he, he could become 12-team relevant pretty soon. But I'm just not willing to take that leap at this point, and I don't think we need to. I don't think uh, there's going to be a, a run on uh, Jonathan Aranda in 12-teamers uh, this weekend, so uh, he's he's on the watch list there. Yeah, Brandon Lau expected back soon for the Rays. I just saw some tweets from Mark Topkin, who covers the the Rays for the Tampa Bay Times before we started recording. So some good news there for their lineup, because they definitely need that thump back with the aforementioned Wander Franco injury. I wanted to ask you about Joey Bart. Is anything going to be different this time around? He's been back up with the Giants for, I think it's eight games now that he's had a chance to start since coming back from Sacramento. Uh, he's Got about a 33% K rate during that brief window. We're only talking about 21 plate appearances, but he's drawn a few walks. He's popped a homer. He's got a couple other extra base hits. I'm just curious, like knowing the flaws will almost always include a healthy amount of swing and miss. I'd be surprised that Joey Bart runs through a half season anytime soon where he strikes out less than 30% of the time. Are you still interested in him because of the raw power and the possible path to a large role with the Giants, right? I, mean, I threw the Wilson Contreras thing out there because it was something that made sense when I was talking to Keith Law on the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday. But I think Bart is the guy until they make a move like that because Austin wins to me looks like a guy they would only play you know, part of the time as a clear-cut backup. So how does Joey Bart stack up to some of the other catchers that we've talked about in recent weeks as number two options in leagues that require us to start two? Well, uh, you know, I think about catchers that we've talked about recently. We've talked about Cal Raleigh. I mean, there's no comparison there, although I, I would put Raleigh in the number one catcher category at this point. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of who we talked about, Christian Betancourt. Uh, yeah, I, I would give give Bart the nod there just because of playing time. Um, but when you're talking about number two catchers, <laughs> usually your options aren't so great. So there, there's a, certainly a, an appeal to going with somebody Who's got that uh, that prospect pedigree and uh, some good minor league numbers, and it does sometimes take catchers a while to put it together at the major league level. It takes sometimes it takes hitters a while, just in general. So uh, I, I would be willing to give Bart a chance as a number two catcher, but it, yeah. not not beyond that. Yeah, I think it's more for fifteen team leagues for now, but I'm watching closely to see if there is a step forward from what we've previously received from Joey Bart against top-level pitching, I'm going to make an argument that the best available hitter in a large percentage of leagues this weekend might actually be Akil Badu, who's back up with the Tigers. He was very good at AAA Toledo throughout this season. A 143 WRC+, plus. that was with a 300, 405, 500 slash line, three homers, seven steals, that was in 30 games, and great plate skills, a 14.5% walk rate, a 19.8% strikeout rate. There's not enough there to block him. I mean, Victor Reyes has a spot right now. Badu's playing quite a bit. Riley Green's the outfielder who has a clear starting role right now. Robbie Grossman could be flipped to a contender, even though he's had a disappointing season so far. It doesn't make sense for the Tigers to keep playing him when they could give that playing time to someone like Badu. Are you on board with things being different for Badu than they were at the beginning of this season when they were pretty quick to give him that demotion 
after some early struggles. Yeah, I mean, I'm hopeful. I I had him in a 12-teamer at the beginning of the season. That's how good and, and uh, how viable I thought he was for fantasy. Uh, and I don't see any particular reason why he couldn't repeat that in the second half. Um, I, I think it's an interesting point. Like you say, uh, the best hitter available in a lot of leagues, probably not in 12-teamers right now. So for that reason, he's going to be more of a contingent bid for me in, in those leagues. But in the 15-teamers where he's available, he probably is the best hitter available this weekend. So there are leagues where Joe Adele is available and Adele's back up with the Angels. Mike Trout's been day-to-day with an injury but could be back for the weekend series. I'd much rather have Badu than Adele right now just because we don't have as clear of a path for Adele to play on a near or even close to everyday sort of basis for the Angels. So, so long as you have Trout, and Ward, and Brandon Marsh all there, unless they're going to play Marsh less or unless one of Trout or Ward goes on the IL, Adele's the fourth outfielder. That's the way it has to be. So I'm much more optimistic about Badu by comparison, even though Adele is the kind of name because of his prospect pedigree that people get more excited about when he gets these opportunities at the big league level. We got a question here from Disco Dave, 12-team 5x5 drop, Dylan Carlson for Rivera or Leody Tavares. I absolutely would not do either of those. If I were going to drop Dylan Carlson, I think I'm more excited about Leody Tavares. Yeah, be- between those two, I suspect unless it's just a, a really they're really deep rosters and it's a it's a deep 12 teamer, I'm guessing there might be an outfielder or, or a hitter out there that um, could be better than either of, of those two. I'll spin it back to Akil Badu. Would you drop Dylan Carlson in a redraft league to pick up Akil Badu right now? Yeah, I would. You? There you go. <laughs> I think I probably would too. I think there's the problems with Dylan Carlson. They're not the kinds of problems where I'm writing him off in keeper and dynasty leagues. He's the kind of player that if I'm not playing for this year in a multi-year format, I'm still trying to buy low and see what happens because I think there's there's a lot of talent there. He'll turn 24 in October. He's a switch hitter. I think that can complicate things as a player's trying to move through. And he's at least taken enough steps forward with the plate skills. He's striking out less where I can still be optimistic that there's more to come eventually, right? If the pitch selection gets better, maybe the power follows. Like we saw 18 homers a year ago in 149 games. So there's that. He's running a bit more than he's run in the past. Like there, are, there are definite positives there with Dylan Carlson. I think some of the The negatives, though, go back to the quality of contact. Dylan Carlson's hard hit rate is down at 23.5%, much lower than what we saw when he debuted in 2020, much lower than what we saw even last season when things were going pretty well. Not surprisingly, the barrel rate is down for Dylan Carlson as well. So it seems like he's in this this little valley production-wise where he's just not making the kind of contact he needs to make to get to that power consistently. And I just think that's going to make him a frustrating player to have. Uh, If he ran more... I might be inclined to ride it out in redraft leagues, but because I think Akil Badu can offer you more in the stolen base category and probably match or even exceed the short-term power from Dylan Carlson, that's why I'm willing to go ahead and make that move if that move is available. But the Tavares thing, my takeaway on Leody Tavares is pretty simple. If he had never played in the big leagues prior to now, we would be a lot more excited about him. I think that's very fair to say of a guy that debuted at a young age, has struggled, has gone up and down a couple of times, and now seems to be a bit more polished, a bit more ready to handle the role that he's been given at the big league level. 
I think we talked about uh, Luis Renjifo maybe last week as uh, a player that could be a useful middle infield filler eligible at second base and shortstop. Luis Renjifo has started every game for the Angels since June 15th, Al. The question I'm going to ask you is, is he good enough to be a viable mixed league middle infielder, or is he just one of those guys that plays that doesn't offer enough to make a difference in most fantasy leagues? I, I'm going to say yes, but it's, it's kind of a qualified yes, because there, you know once you get to 15-team leagues, you've maybe got a player or two that's on your bench, and they just kind of sit on your bench because... Uh, you know, there, there starts to get uh, a bit of scarcity on waivers and, and you just need to have somebody with that steady playing time, but you don't really want to start them. That's the category that I put Ren Hifo in right now. Yeah, I think he's maybe like a more balanced version of uh, Diego Castillo, who's getting a lot of time with the Pirates right now. Castillo's like cheap power with flaws. If you look at his last 25 games, he's got seven homers. That's great. 236 average. That's not going to hurt you too badly. But he's only got a 263 OBP, which hurts his real-life playing time outlook. And Diego Castillo has a 2 to 26 walk-to-strikeout ratio in the last 25 games. So the plate skills are highly questionable. Renjifo, I think, give you a little bit of power, maybe a little bit of speed, and probably be less of a drain on your batting average. So if I'm looking at those two guys as middle infield fillers, I prefer Renjifo at this point, even though that Castillo power run has been nice if you're in a really, really deep league. Let's move on to some pitchers. I think we could have flipped the script this week. We could have probably started with pitchers because I think most of the questions on the pitching front are going to be about Max Meyer and how much you should bid and in what types of leagues should you be interested. So you said it before, he's one of the last prospects that you're really expecting to come up and make a big impact. So what are the cutoffs on on league size where you're interested? And then how aggressively are you going to bid where Meyer is available. Right. Well, I already kind of gave the answer to the second part away saying that I think you could go double digits. You could go about 10% on Max Meyer. I wouldn't be doing that in 10 teamers for sure. Maybe even pulling back a little bit in 12 team leagues. Uh, but yeah, certainly 14, 15 team leagues. Uh, I'm, I'm wanting to go 10% uh, with, with Max Meyer. And the thing is that Maybe you could get away with uh, pulling back just a little bit because the overall numbers don't look great, but they're really skewed by just two bad starts right before he went on the minor league IL. So he's been pretty unhittable (laughs) when healthy uh, this year, and uh, I think he's worth that 10% bid. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think if if you're chasing pitching, it's been difficult to find starters who are worth holding is more than matchup-based streamers. And there's a chance that Max Meyer ends up being quite a bit more than that right from the jump with this opportunity in the Marlins rotation. We will get a look at him prior to bidding in most leagues too, which always helps as you're trying to come up with that that final number. Uh, Luis Patino's situation appears to be changing because of the injury to Shane Boz. Boz has a UCL sprain, so it could be several weeks before he's back, if he even makes it back at all this season, which is just the unfortunate result of the nature of that injury. It's probably going to be a short outing for Patino, his first time out since coming off the IL himself. But I'm curious how much more interested you are in Patino now that the Rays are facing that vacancy with Boz and, and possibly have a spot that they can use Patino in that's just like a traditional starter spot as opposed to the previous questions we said 
Maybe he's the sixth starter if they go to a six-man rotation, or maybe he's a follower. It just seems like some of those concerns are, are eased if they don't have Boz available. Oh, I think so, uh, because even if they go to a six-man rotation, uh, I mean, you're, they're probably getting Jeffrey Sp- Springs back right after the break. Uh, we've got Ryan Yarbrough, I believe, who's making a, a start this weekend. But I think there's maybe not a spot, spot for Yarbrough, but definitely a spot for Boz, and maybe, maybe for both of them. Uh, but my, my bigger uh, concern, I'm sorry, not Boz, uh, Patino is what I meant to say. Uh, but Patino needs to ramp up his innings. So I had read that he may only pitch one inning on Friday night. Uh, so that that's something that people need to be aware of if they're looking at using him and, and having a need for Patino right away. Um, but I think he's a worthy stash in 12-teamers if you've got the bench space. I think if you're in a league where... You know, you, you have limited bench space. You don't have a dedicated set of IL spots or for whatever reason where it's just not particularly easy to stash somebody for two or three weeks. Uh, I think it's it's plausible to just go ahead and pass on Patino. But I think if you do have that kind of room, I think he could be somebody who really pays off from like uh, early August forward. Yeah, I, I've, I found that I was wrong about league-wide interest in Freddy Peralta last weekend. And I bring up Freddy Peralta because he, of course, is on the 60-day IL right now. He's still a few weeks away from being ready. We don't even have a precise timetable. Obviously, he's going to need some kind of rehab assignment before he comes back. And if Patino is only going to throw one inning on Fridays, then we're probably talking about three weeks before he's fully stretched out to the point where you can look at him and say, okay, five-plus innings are a possibility now. So it's similar to the Peralta situation in that you're going to be waiting several weeks. You probably have to stash him on the bench during that time. The slight difference being if you needed Patino as your last pitcher in your lineup, you're at least getting something from him, whereas Peralta, he's on the IL. He'd get a zero. But it's the same kind of can I afford to use a roster spot this way sort of calculus. And apparently with pitching, we're at the point in the season now where people are erring more on the side of being aggressive because of that that need for impact arms. So I think if you want Luis Patino, you're going to have to make that move now, even if it's going to be a few weeks before you can use him the way that you'd like to use him, before he can make the impact that you know you're hoping that he's able to make with that talent. I saw Marcus Stroman was available in some shallow leagues, even one deeper one. You know, you and I play in that 16-team keeper league with the Thursday night moves. Stroman was available, and he didn't really take much fab. He was only a $3 pickup. We use $100 budgets in that league. I imagine there's some 12s out there where he's still available, maybe the occasional 15-team league. Uh, how interested are you in Marcus Stroman in leagues where you're chasing pitching this weekend? Pretty interested. Yeah, if he's available, uh, 12 teamers, he's not somebody that I would plan on starting every week, but he's definitely a valuable pitcher to be able to stream off of your bench uh, to start weeks, good matchups. So he's he's relevant pretty much everywhere. I mean, he, I don't know that he needs to be stashed in 10 teamers, but yeah, if he's available in deep leagues like ours, uh, then he's an absolute must add. Yeah, I got a little bit cute with the bidding with Stroman where I thought maybe I could sneak him through. I had the tying high bid. I should have just paid five bucks for him if I wanted him because he's easily worth that in a 16-team league. So I do think you can get up to about a 5% bid. Projections the rest of the way mostly have him around either the low fours or the high threes in terms of ERA and probably close to a league average sort of whip. I think one key difference, though, for Stroman now versus a couple seasons ago We've seen this longer run going back to last season where he's maintained an increased strikeout rate. 
He's been at 22.5% this season, over 51 in the third innings. And he was at 21.6% last year with the Mets. So I do think there's a little bit more in that category than we were accustomed to throughout his time with the Blue Jays when he really lagged in that category unless he was getting the high volume of innings, which most years he did. But I just think the skills have changed just a bit for Stroman. So I'm pretty intrigued to to go after him in leagues where he's available. I just thought I could sneak him through and was promptly shown, uh, no, you, you can't sneak Marcus Stroman through in a league quite that deep. Uh, and also, I thought the other pitchers available, Spencer Howard, who we're going to talk about, Max Castillo, who we're going to talk about, I thought there was similar appeal with them. So I felt better about the contingency bids just because of this particular week being a bit different. Now, I will learn very quickly if I was right about that. Unfortunately, I missed on Castillo, who we're going to talk about next. What kind of opportunity do you think this ends up being for Max Castillo in the Blue Jays rotation? They've obviously been disappointed in what they've got so far from Yusei Kikuchi. Is it realistic to think that Max Castillo, if he pitches well, could actually bump Kikuchi out of the rotation entirely while he's on the IL? I think he could. I, I, you know, I don't, if it were, I don't know, a team in a different situation, uh, maybe I would think that uh, Castillo wouldn't have as much of an opportunity, but I mean, they're, they're going to be fighting for their playoff lives. And um, I think that they got to see what they have in Castillo. Um, So I, I, yeah, I can't be too certain of that. I think he's definitely worth adding in 14 and 15 teamers just for the potential short-term appeal. And it could be something much more than that. The skills concern that I think you have going into picking him up would be the walk rate possibly being a little bit on the high side. He was at 10% earlier this season at AAA, 11.5% at AA. Those were samples just under 30 innings apiece. Prior to arriving at that level, we hadn't seen walk rates like that before, so it's not necessarily something you have to see in him going forward, but it's just a, a bit of a yellow caution flag, I guess. But in terms of stuff, it, it looks legit. It looks like major league starter type stuff in the arsenal for for Max Castillo. Uh, really three pitches, fastball, changeup, slider that he's working with right now. So I'm definitely in, I think, in 15-team leagues. In 12s even, I think you could justify maybe uh, sneaking him in on the bottom of your roster as a min bid. But I would imagine that with the shuffle coming out of the break, with the shortened week, he probably doesn't make a start in the shortened week next week. So you got to factor that into your plans as well. Uh, Spencer Howard is a name we've talked about on a few of these episodes recently. And maybe we're getting that little bit of, of reason to believe with the last time out against, I think that was Oakland, being a pretty good start. He's got another turn this weekend, so we get to see it again before we bid. And Howard was among the reasons why I didn't go aggressively after Stroman in that aforementioned keeper league, am I putting too much stock in Howard's reputation as a prospect in the face of some very bumpy outings from him as a big league pitcher? It's almost like the worst thing that could happen to me with Spencer Howard is that he could pitch well again this weekend <laughs> and get my hopes too high before Sunday. Yeah, yeah, that that could happen. Uh, and and so I think I've got to answer uh, in a way that's consistent with what I've done in that, that league uh, because I put in a bid for Spencer Howard. And then after that last start, I pulled it. I pulled the bid out because I think he only got one strikeout in that start. And I was looking for him to do... Uh, much bigger things, even though overall it was a, a successful outing. But given the really spotty track record that Howard's had, both with the Phillies and the Rangers, I needed a little bit more reassurance than that. So uh, I'm not really expecting too much, even with, with some good matchups. 
for me, it's like I'm just looking for a right-handed version of a Reed Detmers to let me down. So I think that's why I'm so <laughs> fascinated with Spencer Howard. I think part of it's the AL West, though, too. I think yeah. there's a lot of soft landing spots in division, and I'm trying to take advantage of that over the course uh, of the second half of the season. Uh, Kyle Gibson, a, a frequent, frequently mentioned pitcher on this episode on Fridays. He's still out there in a decent number of leagues. It's been an up-and-down sort of year. There was a point, I think it was about mid-May, where the ratios looked pretty good, and the Kyle Gibson fan club was feeling validated, and then it's, it's been it's been a bumpy ride for the better part of the last month or so now. What are you doing with Gibson where available? How do you compare him to some of these younger arms that seem to have more ceiling when you look at Gibson as someone whose role appears to be quite a bit safer? For the most part, I'm not really doing anything about Gibson because the the deeper leagues, he's just not available there. And I've checked in, checked in on him in some shallower leagues recently. And then every time I look, I'm thinking, yeah, I can probably do do a little better than this. So, you know, what you were saying about just the consistency and uh, kind of the, the low floor from, from start to start. Um, I'm just not interested in Gibson in, in the leagues, uh, at least where he is available uh, for, for me. Part of what's drawn me in is the walk rate is lower than it's ever been for Gibson as a big league pitcher this season. Strikeout rate still a little bit light, just under 20%. uh, But I do like to see the improvement there. It gives me some hope that the whip we saw last year and what we've seen so far this year is actually real and that the ERA could come down maybe to the low fours as opposed to the mid fours. He's still a matchup-based starter for me, but I'm not having the reflexive gross, it's Kyle Gibson, I'm not interested sort of response. I'm having the... Yeah, if it fits, at least temporarily, matchup-wise, I'm willing to take him on, even in a 12-team league in certain instances. So keep an eye on the schedule for Gibson. See how the Phillies line things up coming out of the second half and, and be ready to pounce if if things happen to break the right way. Uh, Anibal Sanchez is on the rundown for this week, Al. He's getting an opportunity again in the Nationals rotation. I'm glad he's back just from a, hey, work. He's worked back from a lot of actually pretty significant injuries over the course of his career. What do you think he brings to the table for us, though, as fantasy managers at this stage? Well, occasionally on this show, I've uh, talked about a 24-team dynasty league that I'm in, <laughs> and uh, I picked him up there. And, and again, that's a, that's a league, so I mean, this is really setting the bar extremely low, but that's a league where if somebody has a rotation spot, they pretty much get picked up right away. So I, I got him. But for me, it's it's a little bit more than that because I feel like Sanchez has been really underrated for, for a long time now. Uh, he had very good seasons in 2018 and 2019. And yes, I know that you know now 2019 is three years ago. He didn't pitch at all in 2021, and that was by choice. It wasn't an injury. And 2020 was a pretty horrible year for him. I, I'd be tempted to say just a lot of things were just really hard to figure out in 2020, but his velocity was way down. So that that gets to what I like about uh, picking up Sanchez right now, which is that the velocity was back up in that first start against Atlanta. Um, in fact, the, the average velocity was a little bit over 91 miles an hour on the fastball, and he hasn't had that as an average fastball velocity over a season in years. So the velocity appears to be back up for him. Uh, he didn't get destroyed. I mean, he gave up four runs, but he made it five innings against one of the best, best offenses in the major leagues. Thought acquitted himself pretty well. And this is somebody who's, 
you know, like I said, for those two seasons, 18 and 19, did a really good job of limiting hard contact, was able to maintain a, a low ERA and get some wins in that fashion. And I'm really just interested. I'm not saying I believe he's going to do that in 2022, but I'm I'm watching really closely to see if I should be picking him up in, in 15 teamers, if he can bring that formula uh, to his pitching again. I think I'm at the point with Sanchez where I'll watch and see, but... I think I'm just out. I think it's, unfortunately, he's 38. Maybe there's not much there to push him, so the opportunities are there. I could see maybe in August or September in some of the leagues where at some point you say, ratios don't even matter. I just need wins and Ks. Maybe he'll fit there in certain weeks, but uh, outside of the very deep leagues you described, I think I'm going to let Anibal Sanchez end up on some other rosters around my leagues. Let's get to a few closers. When we spoke last week, we were wondering who the Rangers would turn to with Joe Barlow being removed as their closer. I think I was leaning toward Dennis Santana. Turns out it's Brett Martin. It's been a lot of Brett Martin. He was pretty affordable for people that took the flyer last weekend. He was still available in the league with the Thursday pickups we talked about a little bit earlier. Might be a handful of of shallow leagues, especially where he's still out there. What's your interest level in Brett Martin? Do you think there's a chance that he actually keeps this closer role for the rest of the season? Or do you think this ends up bouncing back to Barlow? Or do you think there's someone else that might emerge to end up taking on at least a significant share of the saves for Texas? I feel pretty good about Martin keeping this job. And part of that is just uh, the level of success that he's had. And I mean, not great. Uh, The last couple of years combined, an ERA right around three. He's not your typical closer, not a lot of strikeouts, uh, although he does have a a, a very good CSW so far this year. But um, more of just a a sinker baller who's going to keep the ball in the park uh, and prevent runs in that way. But that works, right? I mean, that's, uh, you know, uh, I was going to say Clay Holmes, but I mean, he strikes out more batters now than he used to, but kind of a similar model there. And part of what encourages me to think that Martin could keep this job is that I didn't talk about him as a candidate. You didn't talk about him as a candidate. I didn't see any of our other uh, uh, friends and colleagues in fantasy baseball talking about Martin as the one who's going to step up. So it seems like the Rangers kind of had this in mind as an organization to make this move. Uh, Maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but given that he just wasn't the obvious candidate to a lot of us, um, it, it, it says something to me that maybe, maybe, this was in the making for a while. It could be. I I think Barlow is a good pitcher, though. I think Joe Barlow is actually a good reliever, and there was reason to believe that the skills were actually going to get better, like the K rate could actually go up for him. So if they were going to make a change again, I think back to Barlow is more likely to me than option C coming in to take over the role from Martin. So I do think if Martin's still out there, worth picking up at least for now. Doesn't seem like the bidding in him has been all that intense, even as we keep getting more information about the recent usage patterns in that Texas bullpen. Uh, here's one for you. The the Nationals have Kyle Finnegan now in position to probably get some saves. They're not a good team. They are going to get worse in the second half, almost certainly, because they're going to probably trade some combination of Nelson Cruz, Josh Bell, Cesar Hernandez. I don't know if Michael Franco has any appeal to a contending team, but I would imagine a few of those guys are going to go. Uh, maybe some of the other veteran relievers are going to go. Uh, but the Tanner Rainey injury is a 60-day IL situation. So this could be a pretty good run 
for Finnegan to pick up some save opportunities on a bad team. Uh, what's your interest level in Finnegan this weekend? I mean, roughly similar to Martin, and I did make the case in the column that uh, I actually kind of like Martin better just because I, I do worry about Kyle Finnegan maybe having a home run problem. And, uh, you know, so there could be the potential for for blowups and then him need to be replaced. But at least in the short term, uh, Davey Martinez said he is the guy. So there's going to be opportunities, whatever opportunities the Nationals present, he's going to get those opportunities. So uh, so that's a plus in Finnegan's column. And uh, the, the ratios are a little better this year. Uh, strikeouts, walks are down. So, um, you know, I, mean, I don't want to overblow the, the home run thing, but uh, I, th- I think he could be effective enough to keep the job. Yeah, I, I think... When I look at him compared to some of the stash options at this point, we're still a few weeks away from the trade deadline. I'd rather take the chance on Finnegan than start stashing, you know, Felix Bautista, for example. Yeah. And I think the the Bautista situation, we talked about Dylan Tate last week or two weeks ago in Baltimore. That was before the Orioles went on this recent run that has kind of put them into the wild card conversation. They're a game over 500 as we record this on Friday afternoon. It's a nice story for sure. You start to think about ways this team could play the middle and and still not like break anything up for this year. One way they could do it is to trade Jorge Lopez for future value, right? You're not really changing your fortune for this year by trading him away. If the bullpen is an area that's pretty deep and it's a strength and you feel like you can continue to develop arms that can backfill, you could trade Lopez and still play for this year if you're them. So I wouldn't take the Orioles' recent success and write off the possibility of someone else behind Jorge Lopez emerging to be the closer after the deadline. I don't think this this rules them out from making a move like that. They may get something back that makes them better right away by trading a reliever to a team that has a major league-ready infielder. There could be some some variation of a trade that works that way. And you could look at that and say, yeah, that makes sense. Why why wouldn't you do that? Makes you better this year. Makes you better next year. And now someone else gets to close. So uh, Finnegan before those guys is definitely something that I would prioritize if I'm looking for saves this weekend. The other name that's kind of interesting for keeper and dynasty purposes, at least, is Matt Brash. What are you doing in deeper keeper leagues where Matt Brash is available? Are you trying to pick him up cheap now and stash him away to see if he ends up maybe being traded to a team that wants to use him as a closer or possibly if he emerges next year to compete again for a rotation spot? Like, What's the what's the appeal here? In that kind of scenario where we're talking about deep dynasty leagues, I think for me, he would be somebody I would more want to have as an add-on in a trade. He wouldn't be the, the primary target for me, uh, even though you outlined a couple of, of really plausible outcomes for him uh, in the longer term. Uh, but there's also a lot of uncertainty there. And I wouldn't want to give up, you know, anything of too much value to get somebody who, you know, maybe winds up being like a, a, a seventh or eighth inning reliever. So um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at. I'd be happy to add him. He would not be my primary focus though. Yeah. I think he, he does make sense if you're playing for the future because Clearly, the stuff is really good. It's just a question of whether or not he ends up in a role where it's going to be 
highly valuable to us as fantasy players. Uh, we also did see Evan Phillips get a save. So if you've been wondering about that Dodgers bullpen, who could be the guy if something were to happen to Craig Kimbrell, maybe we're inching toward a scenario of getting a little more information there. That bruised our Gratterall injury, though, from last week ended up being a very minor injury, thankfully. So it could have just been circumstances that led Phillips to that opportunity uh, earlier this week. But I'd like to see him getting those chances because I have him as a reliever in a very deep NL only league. And any any saves in a league like that are just a great sort of bonus. Got a few uh, questions here that we're going to get to. Tony is curious about Derek Hall getting an opportunity in that Phillies lineup. And now that we've seen him for a couple of weeks, Al, what are you doing with Derek Hall in leagues where he's available? Uh, probably not a lot because we're we are talking mostly now probably twelve teamers, and I took a, a closer look at him again earlier today writing the column because I thought well maybe you know he's not that widely rostered maybe he belongs in the column, but it's just the the plate skills have not been great. Uh, I still have questions about the long term playing time for Hall, so I think he's appropriately rostered right now and not somebody that I'm really good to be looking to add maybe a contingent bid at, at best. Yeah, I think he's better served more in 15 team leagues and deeper at this point, even though there is that opportunity for him to hit cleanup right now in the Phillies order. Uh, we've got one more here. This one is from Pete, 12 teams, six by six with OPS as the sixth category. Juan Yepes, Vinny Pasquintino, or the infielder we talked about in Minnesota a little bit earlier, Jose Miranda. Ooh. Yeah, this is tough. Um, and I think Pasquantino is is under-rostered. He, and I'm sure it's just because he hasn't put up great numbers since the, the call-up, but the peripherals look great. Looks like he hasn't missed a beat in terms of the power, the walk rate, the, the strikeout rate. That said, I think because of the other categories, uh, the, the counting categories, I, I would go with Yepes here. Mm, it's interesting. I'm, I think Yepes is a tough player for me to fully figure out in that I, I think he's a good hitter. I don't know if he's a good enough hitter to be a great fantasy player. Like I wonder if he falls into that that funny dead zone. Because you look at his numbers so far this year, 11 homers and 228 plate appearances is really encouraging. It's a 254, 298, 459 line, almost identical to what Miranda's done so far. And he strikes out a little bit more than Miranda does. I think the playing time could become an issue if the Cardinals get completely healthy or if they make upgrades. I'm slightly more optimistic about Miranda looking at those two head-to-head. And I think I think I like Vinny Pasquantino the most of the entire trio because I think he I think he's an even better hitter than both of those guys. I think he'll walk more, he'll strike out less, and playing time is no more risky for him than it is for those other two players. So if I were ranking all three, Vinny Pasquantino up at the top. Miranda second, Yepes a close third. I think Miranda versus Yepes is the toughest toss-up of any combination within that trio for me. Yeah, no, it's it's really hard. I could probably be talked <laughs> into any of the three. Uh, and certainly if we uh, took uh, Vinny Pasquantino and Juan Yepes and flipped them to opposite sides of Missouri, uh, it would be an easy easy call for me for Pasquantino. The uh, early hard hit rate from Vinny Pasquantino, 58.3%. Very early. We'll see where that settles in with a little more 
Uh, but just compared to Miranda and Yepes, 42.1% and 34.4%, a lot more hard contact right now from the Italian nightmare, I'm told he prefers. Not, not Italian beef, not Italian breakfast. The Italian nightmare is the preferred nickname for Vinny Pasquantino. Thanks for all the questions today. If you're watching us live on a future week, feel free to drop those questions in the chat on YouTube. Four o'clock Eastern is when we get started most weeks. And of course, we'll be back with a trade deadline special in a few weeks too. That's going to be a big episode three weeks from now. Tons of playing time shifts then. It's cool. The trade deadline's on a Tuesday this year. So by that Friday, we'll start to see some of the fallout of who actually you know, moves up and takes on larger roles as a result of all that shuffling. You can find Al on Twitter at AlMelkyRBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Be sure to check out Al's waiver column on the site, by the way. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, get a subscription for $1 a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. For Al Melchior, I'm Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. 